Hi and welcome to episode two, Close But No City. I'm Jim. I'm Bob. And we're at Jim Bob Cast. This week on the agenda, the City Review, Vienna, the legend Arsene Wenger, what's coming up at Leicester next weekend, and we'll have a roundup with a few things from the league, and Bob's got a rant of the week from a fan who wants to talk about chocolate oranges. So let's crack on. Bob, Manchester City 1, Arsenal 0, Saturday afternoon. <sighs> How'd you call it? Well... It was certainly better than the last time we played them in the league and the time before that we played them in the league and the time before that we played them in the league. (laughs) So probably our best result against them for a long while in the Premiership. You know, yes, good. We had some really strong footholds at many a point in that match. You know, even some spells of domination might be used. I mean, let's go through the team because we both did our lineups last week. We both called for Lacazette to play as the nine because of just his ability also to hold the ball up. He's as, he's as equally as strong on the shoulder as he is with his back to goal, to be fair, Lacazette. And not a lot of people actually appreciate that. And then the, the big decision for me, which feels like... And, and I will praise Arteta absolutely from the point in which he came in to Arsenal. But this is one of his telling mistakes to play Willian in the false nine. Fuck me. What a mare of a decision that was. You do not buy a bike and try and use it as a boat. <laughs> It's mental. Why does he play him as a false nine? Lacazette plays a better false nine than him because of his strength from the ball. It was a waste of a player. I mean, you've got we started to, with 10 men. You've got to sit there as Lacazette and say, boss, I'm not that happy, right? I'm losing my place to Eddie. I was the big signing at the number nine. But credit to Nketiah. He's now the top goal scorer in the under-21s and he's come in, he's scored goals and he's made a difference and he's made Lacazette's job that little bit harder. But then Enketia's got to be sitting there and think, I've really got a top lacquer here. Maybe they use a Bamiang. You know, when you see the team... Fuck just, me, what's Alba got to do to get playing through the middle? I mean, you've got to, you see the team and you just think that they're playing a Bamiang in the nine, Pepe maybe left and Willian on the right, or, or they're just going to play a versatile front three and try and fuck with the City back line. And then just to see Willian continuously through the middle... It just didn't work. He, he, really, he looked like a rabbit in the headlights. It was bad. And I think when we had so many good moments, we just found ourselves lacking that. You know, we talked about creativity. We're going to talk a lot more about creativity. If you've got no one to post a letter to, it doesn't matter how good the letter is. What's the point of writing it? And that's what's happened here with Arsenal. We've had some really good moments of football on Saturday. Playing lovely. And the telling point for me when we spoke about the Liverpool game was we just didn't sit in possession long enough and just let the back five or back six breathe, you know? Liverpool just came at us and at us and at us with a high press and we were just under pressure with it. And we said that we missed Ceballos in that game. He played in this game. But you needed a front three who could retain the ball from the halfway line into the opposition half. And their line just got higher and higher and higher and they pressed us and we were in a deeper position and we just couldn't get the ball in behind. And we again, you know, uh, it was the first game for Diaz. I hadn't seen him play before. I thought he was except. I thought the whole City back line actually was, was top, top draw. I agree. I agree with you there. They did play a real, they played well. They certainly nullified our attack, but how much time, how much attack was there to nullify? We had 11 shots on goal. Yes. Three on target. That's a massive improvement from where we've been in, um, in, previous, uh, in previous games against top six sides. And I know you're a man of statistics. Well, last time we played against Manchester City, we only had three shots on goal in that 3-0 loss. Not shots on target. 
So to move to 11 and 3 is a massive increase. Possession was really good as well. We've up, we're up to 41.5% from 32.9%. So a good swing there. More important thing, 333 passes in the 3-0 loss. Our pass has gone up to 462 away from home at Manchester City. I think that's a, a real improvement in how we play. Yeah. But how many of those passes, if I could coin a phrase, were fanny about at the back? Well, I mean, yeah, you're trying to build momentum. You're trying to see a passing line. They've not quite nailed the press as much as, as Liverpool have. Klopp has shown the ability for German engineering with how well manufactured that Liverpool press is. But, you know, City really put us under. And I saw some um, some correspondence on, uh, on Sky Sports News with uh, Jamie Carragher. And he said that, you know, he knew that Guardiola would go toes with, Aguero, with Arteta and the two of them would try, you know, to out outthink the other because they've worked with each other before. And I think that is where Arteta has somewhat just overcomplicated things and played Willian as the false nine to somewhat try and get Guardiola to change his in-game plan. And then... Sort of like the Spanish Inquisition, yeah. the first point of the Spanish Inquisition. Yes. And then Guardiola has then gone and done it to Arteta by playing what looks like a 4-2-4. Nathan Eke really did play as a left-back most of the game. Mm. Walker played as a kind of wandering centre-half. Cancelo played high up the pitch as a right wing-back. And Diaz was really the only kind of centre-half that stayed true to his position. And then, yeah, and then the two sat in and then the four up front just manoeuvred and round and wandered. And it was, you know, it, it was frustrating for me because I just... Every game we've played in the league this year, we are not getting Aubameyang on the ball at all. The only time he's been able to play on the front foot with a defender trailing, as in like scurrying for position, he has clinically put them on their backside with the goal against Fulham. He has not had an opportunity to do that in, what, since late August. So... So one of the key moments in the match, we're obviously going to talk a few key moments that happen, was the Saka chance. You know, and one of the, it was a highlight for me how strong we were down our left-hand side. Mm. The the way that Saka and Tini were really working. Well, Gabriel as well, left-sided <coughs> centre-half. Help from Aubameyang as well, help from Xhaka as well. Yeah. You know, they were really consolidated and strong on that left-hand side. I think that the Tini-Saka partnerships got lots of legs to come. And they combined brilliantly for that chance, you know. A tussling forward run into the box from Tierney. Saka getting the ball to Bamiang. Such a clinically smooth pass, cutting through the line. But then the Xhaka ball in was great. Yes. But then I think Saka needs to do better. It's great keeping from Ederson. He, he came out, he was on top of him. Young lad's going to be under pressure, you know. He should do better. I think he should score. No, he's on his weak foot, so he's not going to probably have the confidence to maybe dink it or... Or just use the top. He just tried to make a really good contact with it on his right foot. And that's what's working his advantage. And that's kind of probably why now you see so many players play on the wing of the opposite of their foot. Right-footed players play left side. Left-footed players play right side. And he has now got in behind from the left-hand side on the angle. And he's now on his right foot. You know, if Aubameyang gets off the wing and gets in on that chance, it's it's one all. And that really did frustrate me. We've just not taken our chances against the top two sides. Lacazette had two great chances, but we know one was offside against Liverpool. We've now had that chance against City. And we've had a proper, proper chance to take points off of 
the two people that you would expect to finish first and second in the league. Yeah, we've had good chances against them both in the in terms of how we've played. I'm also going to bring this little beauty up. We've also had two moments in both games where should VAR have intervened, it could have changed the complexity of the game. You know my views on the Mane incident. Yeah. I think he's lucky to stay on the pitch there. That arm flailed into Tierney's <laughs> face. We were going to miss that one out. Yeah. But Carl Walker, Gabriel, 46 minutes or 45 plus one, depending on your <laughs> way you look at it. Didn't go to VAR. Ref blows up for half time. I think that's a huge error. I think, well, I'm not going to say I think, that's a penalty kick. Yeah, I didn't think it at the time, but then I've obviously had the opportunity to watch it over and over again. Arsenal have even posted what they call True View on their website, which is the 360 angle of the incident. And, you know, Kyle Walker is off the ground and his foot is the equivalent to his kind of neck or head height. So... You know, and Gabriel is is not bent over. He is putting his head to the ball. Now That's a high foot. It's a dangerous piece of play yeah. in the penalty area. And the only reason I can think is that the referee has let him go is that there is clearly football head. There is clear space between foot and head. I think if he misses the ball and makes any kind of contact with Gabriel, because Gabriel's reaction doesn't even, he doesn't go down clutching his face, he doesn't appeal for a penalty, he's just focused on getting to the ball first. And that probably does him a disservice. It's a penalty. The ref should have given it, he should have gone to VAR. If things like that don't go to VAR, then what's the point of VAR? Mika Richards himself said it on yeah. the, the post-match analysis. He's right, you know, I thought his refreshing view at looking at that was better than the normal uh, agendered Sunes. And, and, and that's the hold on a second. Sorry, James, for cutting you off there. Two weeks prior, Sheffield United, they spent the whole of half time looking, Sky, at how Louis should have had a tug back. Admittedly, that didn't go to VAR. We've won one there. Yeah. But that was a pullback that should have gone to VAR, possibly got the player sent off. This is a stonkingly blatant, dangerous play in the box. Sky spent about 20 minutes talking about it. You know, they're gonna they spent more time after the match talking about that fucking twat Aguero clapping fans that weren't there. I mean, really, what's that all about? Clapping fans that aren't in the ground. You know, bell end. Well, I think he's just trying to be funny, isn't he? I think he's he has put his arm round the I believe her name's Sean, the female Sean Massey. She was one of the, the famous linesmen that actually caused Andy Gray and Richard Keyes' sky demise all those years ago. There you go. So he has disagreed with a decision that she's made and put his arm around in a sort of cheeky kind of way that a footballer does. Now, I have seen the social media platforms absolutely blow up about this. Very interesting. Mixed views on both. I don't have any issue with it. You know, she's operating in the men's game and she wants to operate at the top level. And the player has just done as he would do with a, with a, with a lines man. Instead of a lines woman. I think one of the key things where we're giving them the wrong job title, isn't it? Assistant referee. Assistant referee, absolutely. You know, you're absolutely right. If that was a bloke, we don't even talk about that. You know, it's a lady, so it comes up. You know, there's nothing to be talked about over this. You know, that's just one of those things. It looked a lot worse than it was because it is a lady, but it's not a lady. It's an assistant referee, just happened to be a lady that day. And footballers are cheeky. They're always looking for the advantage. It's just how they operate. It's just their nature. So I don't think there's any malice in it whatsoever. 
And I don't think Aguero's integ- integrity has ever been challenged in his illustrious Premier League career, so it should just be blown over. But clapping fans that aren't there, he should be vilified for. <laughs> it's just it's just a poor Southern American joke, isn't it? Talking about poor decisions by Southern Americans, party not starting. Arteta wanted to give him a rest because he wanted to settle him but aside a bit more. Should we have paid the release course sooner? We yes. know we're going to have to do it. Now he's not played a match against City. He could have played 60 minutes as opposed to 20. And that might be the difference in that game. Well, it might have been the difference in the game against Liverpool. It might, it might have been the difference in, um, in other games. But, well, we've won every other game in the league bar the Liverpool and City games. But I think if you look at their goal, the Man City goal, there was a lot of tracking involved in that. And the way that Myers' pass cuts through the midfield, Aguera has his run. Sort of Sabias is running alongside the play, not really getting involved into that. And I think maybe that's where Party in that midfield area could have clogged up that hole somewhat. Yeah, I mean, just staying on the Party point, this is... I'm overjoyed that Arsenal have ended up doing the um, doing the deal and, and getting it over the line. But the same breath, you know, they would have known Atletico Madrid's stance months ago. They know Leon's stance months ago. They, like, they've got analysts who are looking at this thing 365, 24-7. It's an oversight. Because the thing is, Bob, as soon as the fixture list comes out, you're like, hang about. Right, in the first 10 games, I've got City, Liverpool, United and Leicester. Like, if I can take at least half the points out of that, I'm halfway home with a top four spot. Yeah. Now, I've got a player who I've got to rush over to Austria this week to probably get 60 minutes legs in the game with him so he can just start acclimatising to his other um, teammates, then race him back for a Sunday at Leicester. And he's got to jump. And in my opinion, he has to jump straight in because there's still an issue at, at centre midfield. And you watch how Liverpool and City both just transform through the three phases of defence midfield attack. And it's just a complete transformation in an alliance. They're like a perfectly edit- edited TikTok video, aren't they? Yeah, and we look like we are two sets of test match stumps with a middle stump from a one-dayer, and we just hope that no one notices in the ground. Yeah. I mean, that goal that they scored, it was a great goal. You know, as I said, that was a great pass from Mares inside. Aguero's run, you can see why they've played him straight away back from his injury. Class! Yeah. But then, the, then there's the shot. And Leno, I know this is a massive, you love this. Mm. This is one of your bugbears. Palms it out into open play again. Parries it out there. That parry, wrong-footed Gabriel. I've watched the goal over and over again. Gabriel stepping back because the ball should be moving that direction. It pops out Mm. forwards. Great play from Sterling to take a step back. Gives him the goal, gives him the shot and puts City 1-0 up for a 1-0 win. You know, at that moment in time, it was quite an even game. Ebbing and flowing. One way to an F. It was actually not a bad game of football, really. It was decent. It was just a game of just tactical nous and just people were just trying to find, you know, spots of um, of possession. Watching it back over and over and then re-watching the highlights and then watching the game again, I just still struggled to comprehend where we got 11 chances from. But we were better in possession and we looked better as a side and there was more solidarity. And there is definitely, you know, the Arteta effect on the back six has had telling improvements to the way in which we defend against top sides we're harder to beat absolutely you know that that was a sweaty game for man city whereas back in june it was a walk in the park yeah you know yeah we've got to take our chances but at the same time let's not let's still try not to lose games we've lost that game we've gone to man city we lost one nil 
bit harsh, you know, probably could have got more out of the game. Should have had a pen. Saka should do better. You know, Pepe had his free kick in the second half that was quite close. Luiz's wasn't so close. You know, he's a great striker of ball, Luiz. He gets his foot behind it. But is it... I've I've seen him do a few good free kicks. Is he like that Robo, Roberto Carles? Roberto Carles? Roberto Carlos figure that scores one good free kick and that's it, giving the ball at a set place. He does take free kicks more from distance. He's kind of more your 28 to like 35 yard kind of range, I think, where your Pepe is your sort of, well, anything outside the box, like to sort of 25, 26 yards. And and yeah, and he has this ability to do the side foot knuckleball sort of, you know, the the dipper. Yeah, I think we need to be trying to just consolidate and improving in our set piece taking because I think we will get a lot of free kicks especially with the likes of Pepe and Saka in the team that are running at players. He's going to get us more set pieces. I mean, I'm being really harsh on Saka. He's the youngest guy on the side. There's a lot of money and uh, and cost and wages around him. And he was really the only one, in, in my opinion, who just looked like they put everything on the pitch. And bar that one chance he gets in where he has a chance to be a proper hero... He had, he had a fine game. He was brilliant. You know, I think Sabias didn't have a bad game. He just wasn't good enough. You know, there's, there's a difference, I suppose, between having a reasonable game and not being good enough for the next step. You know, if we'd have won that game, you know, we might have been talking in a different manuscript today about Sabias. So I don't think he was bad at all. Yeah. So the Leno point that you just made. There's two things about Leno that he could be a little bit better at. He is a very good distributor, but also when he has this kind of not full kick, but not pass short, this kind of opportunity to chip the ball 40 yards, he doesn't hit the... He goes over the fullback quite a lot. He needs to he needs to work on that, but that's, that's being super critical. His distribution skills aren't that of Amazon, they're more yodel. <laughs> very good. And yeah, the parrying into open play is... The, the reason why it frustrates me so is because it's so elegantly done, like forming a level 99 Tetris piece where it misses four oncoming Arsenal defenders who can just grab it and scurry it away. It just fucking weaves through every single There's Arsenal a beam on it. and just ends up at the feet of an opposition player. And on that angle from Foden, he gets a really, really strong hand to that. And yeah, I, I just don't know whether or not that's the only place he can parry it. But then I can just think of the one against Liverpool. Then I think about the one against Spurs last se- season before last. And he's got a bit of history for doing this he now. Does it? He's not the worst parry of the week. Obviously, the worst parry of the week is Rick Parry. <laughs> you know, with his uh, failed attempt at control of the world. You know, uh, Dr. Evil did better than that. <laughs> yeah, but it does get my goat and... Because I don't remember another clear-cut chance they really had where we were really scurrying, other than uh, the fine ball from Cancelo across the face where Louise kind of got half a left foot on it and it you know, could have been an own goal in, in, a, in another life. But, in a freakishly um, world. Yeah, but... You know, we've improved, though. We have improved, but we, we've improved playing mundane football. We've, we've, we, you, you nailed it earlier. We've become a lot harder to beat, but we don't also look like winning games. Agreed. And I think we had chances to win that game and we didn't take them. So this week as well, there were some 
other interesting results in the Premier League. COVID is starting to have its effect now on this league. There are some, there's still sorcery flying around. There this is dark empty magic. ground is causing all sorts. So let's start at the top. Yeah, Chelsea 3-0, then they went to 3-0. You've had the Villa. What Aston Villa are doing, you know, another clean sheet, four wins out of four. They're top of the league or second in the league behind the early pace setters Everton. You know, it, with a game in hand. The game in hand as well. You know, I just think it's going mad. A huge win for United. That's going to give them a massive confidence boost. And then the game of the weekend. The result of the weekend. It was a glorious result. I think we'll all agree with this. We're sitting there at sort of half-time in Tottenham versus West Ham thinking, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, here we go. And then like... The glorious world that we live in. Lanzini in the 94th minute picks it up on the edge of the area and siphons this ball straight into the top corner. It was just beautiful. There is nothing better than a ball in the stanchion, is there? I mean, it was very in the apex of the goal. Even a shirt removal and a, uh, you know, a a full kind of shirtless with a, a ring around the head. Such an old school celebration. But, I mean, that... That's I mean like that first fifteen minutes, I was like, I was, I messaged you again. I'm like, I was, ser- I'm seriously worried about this Tottenham team. This Son and Kane partnership, still with Bale to get fully up to scratch and come in, is really quite fucking worrying. It is, but then you look, they've drawn free all. You know, I think there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah, that yeah. concentration, the ability not to finish off the job. It's like taking a woman home. You know, you've spent all night taking her out with a few drinks. Well, all night now, that's 9.30, isn't it? You've brought her home. Unless you're in tier two, then you can't go back to your house. So you brought <laughs> her back to wherever you may live. You're now and, in a car park. And you're, you've, you're having a nice kiss. You're having a fondle. And then that's it. You stop. You've got to finish the job when you get the opportunity <laughs> to. You've got to push through and get the job done. And, and both Chelsea and Spurs this week have shown they're not able to do it and it's not they're not able to do it against top teams these are teams that they should easily be i will say that spurs if there's fans in that ground probably go and score four and five there i did love it though when they tweeted oh spurs bring on bail that young lad what a fool he is spurs bring on bail west ham bring on lanzini and then it aged well. And and brilliantly, Declan Rice yes. actually commented on it and said that. Declan Rice, I just want to bring it out. It's my dad's birthday this week. It's his 70th birthday. My dad's a West Ham fan. Declan Rice via West Ham have actually written to him. Really? They've written to him to wish him a happy 70th birthday. Unbelievable. Declan, and he signed it properly. It's not one of these electric pen jobbies. It's a proper Sharpie signature at the bottom of this. Oh, what a legend. Yeah, I would suspect that the... The letter's been written by someone in the office because the spelling's too good. But <laughs> but that's lovely. I think that's a nice touch. Well done, West Ham, for that. Absolutely. And just to, to counter Bob's point about, you know, very much this week, West Ham were Nadia and Spurs was Jim Levenstein. Yeah. The full pre-ejaculation. Indeed, indeed. And they were there for the taking and they just didn't quite get it over the line. But I'm going to stand by, annoyingly, going forward... They upset me because Spurs have a lot of what I wish we had because we're so good defensively. If we could transition the ball that quickly back to front and we've got the players to do it and some, we've we should be a it. real force. We've shown it. Yeah, and uh, you're right. United were clinical against uh, Newcastle. Um, it's going to give them confidence, that. Yeah, it is. Do you know what? 
That goal, uh, the Bruno Fernandez goal, was was unbelievable. If there's fans in the stadium, or if that's Barcelona, that thing is like so viral. That was such a good goal. More um, viral than COVID. Yeah. So that was a telling result. Leicester losing again. So I mean, and we'll come on to Leicester in a minute after we assess a couple of other bits. They've had a strange season so really far, bizarre. but we're going to talk about them. Yes, we are. Yes. Thank you. But it's the right time to uh, to play them. It feels so we must take advantage. But a bizarre league. And and the big Merseyside derby, this great big VAR decision at the end, people are going berserk for it. Liverpool writing or wanting to confirm with the FA about how VAR looked to them, what the VAR verdict is. Do you know what? Do one on that one. You know, VAR's VAR. We got tucked up by this week. We might have got one off it the other week. It's it's wrong and it just needs to be fixed. We don't need to write to the FA. The FA just needs to sort it out. Yeah, I totally agree. So Van Dijk out. Van Dyke, oh, that's going to be a season. That's a massive loss. Carragher tonight on Monday Night Football, crying into his tea about now how Liverpool aren't going to win the league. It's just like, you know, I, I could almost see him spitting out of his car window in disgust. But he is that good, Van Dyke. Like, I totally agree with that. Like, losing a player of his ilk for 45 games will be monumental to them. It will be catastrophic. And what we said on the cast last week, I believe, about Liverpool was that they have managed to keep their squad together for three or four years without one real major injury to their top echelon of player, like Amane, Salah, Van Dijk. And now they've lost him for a season. They've not bought a centre-back in the at window. At the same time as their keeper's out as well. Alisson's out at the same time here. So this is huge for them at the back. Yeah, it is. You're right. And they've not bought a centre-back in the window. I've got a couple of Liverpool fan friends and I did say that I think I was surprised that they didn't go and splurge on another centre-back. And, well, now we'll see what clock conjures up. So Thiago looked good again, though, didn't he? Oh, he's a player, isn't he? Yeah, really good player. No, I think that... I mean, Everton had two all against Liverpool. You know, yes, OK, maybe it was a bit dubious at the end, but they're still knocking in, playing the football. Calvert-Lewin with another goal again. We've, on Everton, though... Because we've discussed this, haven't we, about Pickford getting picked for England because Southgate's openly come out and said that he's done nothing wrong in an England shirt. So we'll continue to pick him and judge him on his merits there. But that tackle on Van Dyke is... That's horror show. It's fucking attempted murder. If you do that, you know, it goes back to the old famous Roy Keane, Alf Inge Haaland. You do that in a nightclub and you end up in a cell. Yeah, that's bad. If you do it in a nightclub now, you're in a cell anyway because they're not allowed to be open. But you know what I mean? If you do that in a kebab shop after 10 o'clock, that's it. The key's thrown away now. Eat your kebab, right? You end up on the skewer for that. That is criminal foul play. Mehmet's not having none of this. No way. I cannot believe that that's just, yeah, just the way that's gone down. And and yeah, he's completely scissored him. It's so bizarre. I mean, it, it is irrational and it's what people are saying is very Pickford. And again, you know, whilst we're doing a roundup, Chelsea drawing with uh, Southampton after after going a couple of goals up. They were well in the league in control. Werner scoring twice, though. Again, confidence for the boy. Yeah. But they're not finishing these games off. That's going to be telling. And, and, we didn't finish did off a game. you see the uh, Che Adams second goal? Kepo. It was a fucking like, calamity. It was, it was like a carry-on film. It was so bad. Carry-on keeping. Now, that's the thing. We're talking about us not finishing off a game against Man City away from home. Yeah. Potentially about missing chances at Liverpool. Teams around us are dropping results from being 2-3-0 and three nil up, respectively, against lesser league teams. I think that's going to show us in good stead at the end of the so season. We've got a really tough start to the season with fixtures. And, you know, Arteta is 
starting to show signs. And the, the fact that we're being super hard on him just shows that we think he's got all the ability. I'm just... We'll come to do our top four predictions again because we're going to do them every week and just change, obviously, until the end of the season when it's going to be quite I obvious. I bet I get it right last week of the season. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I think without party, I, I think a top six finish would have been exceptional from uh, Arteta, but we no, we're no closer to winning the league. Then post-party, again, we're no closer to winning the league with the current squad. But a top four possibly on a coin flip now, is there. We, we're one player short in midfield. I'm going to roll this out here now. I'm going to throw it out. I don't think our squad is any closer to winning the league. However, I feel that those that were miles ahead of us are now closer to us by various things that have happened this season to them. Depending on how long De Bruyne is out for, De Bruyne plays, that's a different game at the weekend again. We're talking totally differently this morning. Yeah. Now, I just want to mention this. Okay. Before we move on to talking about Vienna and things like that. Arsenal ladies football team. Legends of the game. One of the best teams, probably if not the best team to ever grace women's football, certainly in this country. They're currently five from five in the league Mm -hmm. with a goal difference of plus 25. Vivian Medema has scored 52 goals in 50 games. Is that since she signed for the club? Yeah, that's league games. That's her record. I mean, if you start introducing all her other goals, she's an absolute machine. You know, from that sort of behaviour, she's the top goal scorer in the league with 10 goals. Wow. This season in five games, 10 goals in five games, two a game. The top three are all Arsenal ladies. You've got... Jill Rood, another Dutch player. And she's been out injured for like three games. I think she'd scored like five in the first game or something. And Caitlin Ford, the, uh, the the young Australian girl. You know, they're playing once again. They're looking like they're coming back into it after the dominance of the Chelsea money yeah. and the Man City money. They're looking like they're playing brilliant football. So I just want to tip my hat to the ladies today and say, well done, girls. Keep us going. Keep us smiling. I tell you what, we'll come down and see you. We'll do a live podcast from an Arsenal ladies match when we're allowed back in. That'll be unreal. And <coughs> what I I read an interesting tweet, and I know you're a man of statistics, you may correct me, but I have understood that Arsenal's last five ladies North London derbies create an aggregate score of 28-1 in favour of the Arsenal. Yeah, we won 6-1, obviously, on... We were 5 and up at half-time, so only win 6-1. <laughs> yeah. Is, I mean, Spurs actually, they've released a video. There's a DVD in the Spurs shop of our second half against Arsenal. <laughs> We put the pressure on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, good luck to the girls. Carry on that form and bring home that trophy. Yes, we, uh, indeed. Any trophy is a trophy. And yeah, we could definitely learn something from how clinical you're being at the top end of the field. Vienna, Robert, Austria. Oh, Vienna. As Midjur and Ultravox once said, I love that song. It's one of my favourite songs from the 80s. <laughs> We're off to the rapids of Vienna. Rapid Vienna. Yes. Oh, I'm looking forward to a European game. Mm. Yes, uh, it's also, is it an early kickoff as well? Five o'clock game? It could well be. I don't actually know. I think it is. I'm, so I nip off down to my local and watch that one. Yeah, like it. So I'm looking forward to that, unless it's shut by then. But well, hopefully it's not. So it, you've got to think that Arteta's going to field a slightly different side on Thursday, albeit now with Holding having a hamstring in issue. He's not included Saliba in the Europa League squad, which angers me a little bit because it's a perfect game for him to come in and just give Louise a rest. I thought that was strange, him not being put in the squad because it is the right type of football for him. But so I think... They must have they must have been adamant he was leaving on loan. They True. must have been. 
Absolutely, because otherwise it's the sort of games he plays. The League Cup, those games, maybe FA Cup should give him enough games, plus being around the first team. The odd league game, you know, that yeah, he can yeah, play, yeah. he's going to get a good amount of football, probably more than he got in San Etienne last year. So that that's annoying. We'll so field a decent side. We have to. Well, we're going to have to field a decent side. So I'm going to give you my 11, and then I'm sure you've you've created one as well. Yeah, I might have written one down. So I think he will play Runnison in goal. Wow. Yeah. So, but well, actually, I don't know if he will do. I just think they're he should argu- do. So, they're arguably the hardest game of the group. Yeah, but I mean, that also means that you expose him a little bit and you see what he's got. So, it's also the first game of the group, and you've got them at home and all the other games to uh, to come in with. So, I'm going to start with Runnison in the sticks. I'm going to play Suarez in the right wing back position. Cedric. Cedric Suarez. Yeah. Sorry, I, I call him Ced. Yeah, okay. So Cedric Suarez, right wing back. It will have to be Gabriel and Louise in a two. Kolasinac in the left wing back. Then Willock, Party, and Saka in a three. And then a front three of Willian, Lacazette, and Nketiah. That's interesting. There's a lot of similarities with the squads I've got. I'm, I'm changing formation. I'm going 3 4 3. For this game, I think he's going to stick with Leno in goal. I think he's going to play Gabriel and Luis and Kalanisic at the back. I think he's going to play a four across the middle of Cedric Party. It's his first mention of the week, Mohamed El Nene. Yes, we've got to get him in. There he is, the Egyptian prince, the prince of Egypt. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles will uh, make up the midfield four up front. I think we're going to see Eddie and Reese Nelson definitely play. Oh, Reese Nelson, very good. And I think you might see either Willian or Lacazette. It sort of depends what he's looking to do against Leicester. I would like to see Lacazette play against Leicester, so I would probably say Willian to play against Rapid I'd like Aubameyang to play nine against Leicester, and I would like Saka and Pepe to play in the three with him. Oh, we'll definitely. We'll, but we'll feed on that little morsel a bit later. So there are 11s. What do we know about Vienna, Bob? Well, they are the all-time record league winners in Austria. 32 leagues they've won. They won 32 leagues. Last titles. time they won the league, though, was 2008, obviously with the rise of Red Bull Salzburg. Yeah. <sighs> Notable players include the Dutchman Jan Venegorf Hesseling. I picked him out because he actually has the same birthday as me. How fantastic. We might play a game of birthday poker this year, footballers only. We'll play birthday poker. That's a great game. I've got some beauts on my birthday. But yeah, and Van der Groef Hesseling, yeah, they're currently second in the league behind Red Bull Salzburg. We have 10 points from four games. They won at the weekend 3-0 against Lask at home. You know, and I think they're they're a good side, you know. They're playing decent football in there. I think we'll beat them. You know, we should be looking to win comfortably. I'm thinking 3-1. Okay. You know, and I, I think they're a strong side and it's a good test for us. I think it's actually a really good game for us because I think we can score some goals against them and that will give us a little bit of a confidence boost. A bit of momentum. Yeah. So let's talk about Arsenal's Europa League chances as a whole. Is this a tournament now that we have to think about winning? Well, I think we've got a great chance of winning this title. Okay. And unless we can improve on the chances we create in the league, I think this could well be our best chance to return to the promised land, that being the Champions League. I do think that. A trip to Vienna, it's, you know, it's going to be relatively warm for Vienna out there. 16 degrees they're touting. Average temperature normally in October, like a stat, normally 10 degrees. So it's almost tropical out there. (laughs) 16 degrees out there. 
I think the Arsenal will like to go out there. It's a shame no fans can't go out to uh, Vienna because uh, other than the Czechs, the Austrians drink more beer on a per head basis than anybody else. That must be the Bavarian roots coming in there. Very nice. You know, and the local brew is Otter Kringer, which is something that we might bring and have a little tasting of next week if we can get a hold on it. Lovely. I agree with you. I think that our best chance is to probably win the... Um a place back to the promised land, as you rightly say, is is probably via the Europa League. I think we should sail through the group stages. I think Arteta has developed a team that can very much play in cup matches with the wins over Liverpool this season in the League Cup, the Community Shield win, the wins against uh, Chelsea and Manchester City last year in the FA Cup. He knows how to put a team out to do something in 90 minutes. Longevity and quality over a 38-game season is just what he's probably trying to build over a two or three transfer window span. So, yeah, I'm with you. And I think we have to really, really build and mount a challenge to to win the Europa League. I think that's probably yeah. high on his agenda. Yeah, we're going to have to go out there. And with that in mind, I mean, we will, we will play a week and sign that we should, we should win this quite easily. It could almost be a cakewalk or being as it's in Vienna, a Sasha Torp walk. <laughs> Where that famous cake comes from, you know, I, I love or a strudel walk, Ooh, apple strudel and vanilla sauce. Vanilla sauce. They, it's custard, but they call it vanilla sauce. It's important to call it that. If you call it custard, they get offended. Talking, is Vienna from Vienna? No, it's a Wool's based product. Wool's is manufactured in the UK. It's very British, oh, but it's man. a fine dessert. It's a great dessert, actually. You know. Um, you know, I think it's... I th- I'm looking forward to the Europa League this week. Normally, Europa League... Do they do League... an orange Viennetta, Bob? No. And we will get <laughs> on to orange-based goods very shortly. Where Indeed. Robert, Indeed. Robert is ready to talk I'm, I'm very like aggressively. A, I'm a bit dismused about this. Um, so, leaning on from Vienna, predictions and a goal scorer, please. You said 3-1. 3-1, I'm definitely going to go with goal scorers. No, just a, a goal scorer. I can give you a goal scorer, and based on the lineup that I think is definitely going to pay, I'm going to say Willian will score. Like it, and he needs a goal, I think, because oh. he has been a little bit. Well, he was built up and pedestaled from the Fulham game, wasn't Supreme he? Supreme game against Fulham. Yeah, and he really just sort of he's simmered at a low heat since then. So I hope he scores, but I'm going to say 2 1. I don't think it will be quite as easy as a, a 3 1. And chance creation doesn't matter on the opposition, is more about yourselves in possession. So 2 1, and my boy Eddie will be on the phone. Yeah, okay, yeah. Now it moves on to our next point. A man very close to my heart. I mean, I would. I would actually be delighted if I could call him dad. He shook my hand once at the Emirates and uh, I did wash because I'm a clean boy, but I thought about not washing for a long time. Arsene Wenger. Yeah, the legend. It was. I mentioned this to you last week. I think we have to count ourselves really lucky that we have been alive to have seen our side, our team, the team that we love, managed by such a magnificent coach. Only those that probably experienced the likes of Herbert Chapman could experience. That, Herbert Chapman, by the way, just the side point, did I ever tell you that I used to work with Ted Drake's son, Eddie Drake? Edward Drake is his son's name. I worked with Eddie Drake, Ted Drake's son. Isn't that legendary? That is legendary. One of the nicest men you could eat. Oh, he is such a beautifully pleasant, lovely man, Eddie Drake. What a legend. Pick up, Eddie Drake. But no, yeah, uh, I, I love Wenger. I, I'm a massive 
fan. He had to leave at the time. I do think it was his time to move on. So the reason we're bringing him into question, obviously, now is is Arson has just released a book and also has narrated the audio book. Ten it. hours long. And been in the news. And it's kind of the first time that he's really come and done proper UK-based <sighs> interviews post his uh, leaving his post at Arsenal in 2018. So we were just going to spend a little bit of time and just relive a little bit of Arson. As Bob rightly said, we're both in our mid-30s and we have had the up... Well, the lion... Well, thank you, I'm, I'm late 30s now. But <laughs> I, know. I, I, I accept the author of mid I was actually ID'd in Tesco's the other day. Ba- the baby face is that? No, it's because you have to wear a mask then you see your eyes. Yes, yeah. You know, but I was ID'd. ID'd, that's a mental. That's mental. Yeah, and uh, the lion's share of my Arsenal... Um, sort of fan being a fan has uh, has come under uh, Arsene Wenger's reign some fine Wenger memories Robert oh well for me one of my most favourite memories is it's the 98 double and the manner we won it and I'm going to give you a little bit of an insight it's the way we won it playing such brilliant football Overmars Petit and Nelka as a youth coming through Burkamp's exquisiteness that season and also the way that he actually transformed the English back five because they were on their way out they were unhealthy they were drinkers gamblers all by their own admission and he transformed these guys by bringing <coughs> in some well some, some European talent who saw the game in a very different way on the training ground in the cafeteria and Ray Parle is a phenomenal person to listen to when you just talk about the early emergence of Arsene Menger and he, you know, I think he, I think Ray says that um, he extended his career by years. You yeah. Know? I mean, that season we were 12 points behind Man United. Fred Dunn, the bookmaker, started paying out. And it was the manner in which we pegged them back, overtook them, won the league with four games left. Would you believe it as Tony Adams burst through the Everton defence oh, to score the fourth goal? 4-0. Boldy just exquisitely dinking the ball over the back yeah, line brilliant. and then Tony just, oh, well, under the new regulations, that's armpit, so that might be handball. But So I'm going to tell you now that uh, this is weird. It was the year I left school, actually, and it was such a glorious season. You had the 98 World Cup after it. It was a real footballing year, a colossal footballing year. France went on to win the France World Cup. France won the Arsenal won the World Cup. If West Ham fans can have England winning the World Cup, I will take France. But uh, <laughs> no, it was a, that was it for me. That's probably one of my best memories. Obviously, I agree. you've got the invincible season. You've got winning the league at Old Trafford and White Hart Lane. You still had Ian Wright scoring in that season, which was grand. That's the season he beat. Ted Drake's record. It was. Cliff Bastin's record, Cliff sorry. Cliff Bastin, 179. Yeah, uh, I remember he had the shirt and he took it off at the wrong time. <laughs> but Well, he scored twice in that game, so it officially... Hat-trick, actually, Alpine. Oh. He scored a hat-trick against Bolton that game. He scored he... a hat-trick. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, that was his, uh, I think that was his last hat-trick for Arsenal. And I don't think it was actually not too far away because he got quite a bad injury that season. Well, like, he... Remember, he missed the FA Cup Well, the final. record was 179 and I'm pretty sure, right, he scored 188 goals for Arsenal. So, yeah, there wasn't many thereafter. Yeah, I mean, that, I'm probably with you. I think the 98 season, the double winning season under Wenger was just a complete kind of, you know, the way in which he just transformed the back five. He, he, he took what he could and just tuned it finally, you know, like a guitar around, the, you know, like, um, like an opera house. You know, it was... It was, it was like the, Andre Ruiz yes. and his violin or Yehudi Menuhin. And then, obviously, the addition of some fine players for 
Very, very good prices as well. You know, Vieira was, what, what was he, 3.5 million? He was. Uh, Petit was 500,000, I believe. Yeah, not um, long. Well, I think we got him and Gilles Grimondi in a deal. I think Remy Gard came free of charge as well with that. Yeah. Can't remember Remy Gard managed Villa. <laughs> that was unbelievable. And Leon. He managed yes. Leon. Imagine if he was there now. He might have had Uar as well. Yeah, very true. Uh, Perez, obviously, I mean, all these players that he bought through, I mean, Perez is a little bit later, but yeah, he just evolved the club. He just... Wenger's best signing. Arsene Wenger's best signing. <sighs> obviously, you've got Henri. Yeah. I'm not sure if Vieira qualifies as a Wenger signing, actually. Really? I think you'll find that Vieira was signed officially before Wenger became an Arsenal manager. I'm going to have a steward on that. I think you'll find he was. I know he signed Petit. I think Vieira signed, was it 96, 97 or 97 season before Wenger took over? Wenger took over in 96. I think, yeah, I think... I think yeah, he signed in 96, yeah. I think he signed just because he, he started the season for us. So I think he was officially an unofficial Arsenal Wenger signing. On the 10th of August, 96, the Daily Mirror reported that Vieira was subject to a move to English club Arsenal, given personal terms were not reached with Ajax. So Arsenal just swept in underneath. Four days later, done the deal, three and a half million. The peculiarity of the Vieira, fellow Frenchman Remy Gard arriving at the club, coupled with Bruce Rioch's dismissal before the season had even begun, suggested that Arsenal was managed by an exterior influence. But it was, um, you know... Vieira later revealed he signed for Arsenal because his compatriot, Arsene Wenger, was going to be the club's next manager. So I think, based on Wenger... He's an unofficial Wenger signing. I've told you it. I'm allowing it as a Wenger signing, but it's not an official one. No. Financially, it was Anelka, because it was a stroke of genius. With the acquisition of Anelka for 500000 and the sale of him 12 months later for £19 million to Real Madrid. Well, Henri, it has to be Henri, doesn't it? I mean, arguably, he's the best player to have played in... The, he's certainly the best overseas player to have played in the Premier League. You know, Wenger knew what he could do at Monaco. He allowed him to go to, uh, to Juventus. Didn't work out for him. And the way he evolved his game under Wenger, and then obviously the player that Henri became... Yeah, you'd have you'd have to say Henri, but in regards to buying of a player and what value they gave to a club, and obviously the the I was older at this time, so I went as an adult. The emergence of Cesc Fabregas through the academy and into the first yeah. team and becoming a captain, like that was complete man management. You know, Fabregas like denotes Wenger to being like his second father. Did you hear the claims that come out from the book where he said about Cesc Fabregas coming back when he went to Chelsea? Yeah. He wanted to come back to Arsenal, but Wenger said, no, no, no. Once you leave, you leave. Really? You don't come back. Because we had first refusals. Yes, part we did. Of the deal, it was part it? of the deal. They had a buyback clause. Yeah. We said, no. Wenger said to Cesc, no, you're not coming back. And Max. that's written in his book. I mean, you have to respect the man that he's just going to sort He went of... and bought Kim Kallstrom that season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Well, Fabregas went to Chelsea won the league. Yeah. Shit, didn't win the Champions League there. No, it was after that he won the Champions League. Yeah, but I mean, the emergence of Cesc, how he blooded him through. I mean, and, and Fabregas in a different Arsenal team wins every major honour. I mean, he was that good. So another Arsenal Wenger signing, one of my favourite signings, Mark Overmars. The Flying Dutchman. Flying Dutchman, 1997. And that isn't uh, Davy Jones's ship. 
Oh my good God, Davy Jones is shit, the flying Dutchman. Yeah, Steve McLaren's here. <laughs> she's a flying Dutchman. No, Mark Overmars, a phenomenal player, brilliant. Yeah, he's one of Arsenal Wenger signings. Obviously, financially, you are totally correct with Anelka. What Anelka bought us for the rest of our lives. But in a deal that often gets swept under the carpet, Overmars and Petit went in a double sale of 35 million, I believe it was, after all bonuses were included. And I believe the cost of the two of them combined didn't surpass 10. That's right. I think Overmars actually cost Barcelona in that deal 25 mil. The rest of it was Petit. Manu Petit. Uh, he also went to Chelsea after being at he Barcelona. He, 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 had, he trotted around. Uh, yeah, a bit of a journeyman in him. But no, I think the Wenger memories, the Wenger signings, the Wenger years will always be the the years you look back and said, I was there. You know, I was there at his last game, his last home game. It was an emotional day. I was actually sandwiched in between two, uh, it must be Japanese people they're lovely they bought these kodak cameras not they're like the little polaroids with yeah. them. quite expensive actually i mean about 900 quid each these cameras Fucking hell. i managed to get them to take millions of pictures of me which i've taken home and then sort of dished them out as memory but no i thought i thought the venga memories i could just talk about venga all well, look, i think he needs a lot of respect put on his name for the way he evolved the football club arsenal Arsenal kind of feel like it's a fans are frustrated by it but the club are happy to have retained their heritage and become a, a fully self-sustained football club. And, you know, v- Wenger says in, you know, it, my, my career was very much built in two areas, that the first 10 years I was challenged to bring major honours to the football club, which he did in abundance, and, and was so close to bringing a Champions League. And the second 10 years was to be, you know, man and chief in the restructuring of the football club to allow it to move into Europe's elite. And that was the building of the Emirates Stadium. And... Also empowering Arsenal to, um, to to go to further heights in retrospective commercial deals. Um, in his time at Arsenal, if you go between the year 2000 and 2005, yeah. so the 4-5 season, when Chelsea yeah. pipped us, it was the year we got to 49. Wenger was averaging over two points a game. He was, you know, his height was 2.37 points a game. That was obviously the wow. invincible season. But there are, you know, 2.29 when we won the league in 02. High points per game averages. The blokes had a statistic genius. You know, his goals scored were immense as well. He was averaging, again, over two goals a game for many yeah. times. And the goals against were well below the one region as well. So this is obviously just leagues. His stats are phenomenal. You know, games in numbers. He was about 760 games, 1439, 57.84 percentage. Win ratio. Is that, is that his whole career? The places I've pulled this from suggested in his 20 years at Arsenal, he had said this is league games. Yeah. So that very interestingly brings us on to another point we were going to cover with Wenger was I was a Wenger in. I believe you were as well. A lot of people Wenger out. I, I, there was a point of a time for change, but I would have changed the hierarchy at the top of the club, not necessarily the manager. I would have loved Wenger to have had the flexibility in the transfer windows that the two people prior to him have had. But statistically, Bob, have we improved under Emery, under Arteta? It's it's a very interesting way of doing it. So I've done a little bit of comparison here. And if you look at Wenger's last two seasons, if you look at the 16-17 season, which was one of Wenger's season, the year we won the FA Cup, play, this is league games only, play 38, won 23, lost 9, 77 goals scored, 44 conceded, 13 clean sheets. 
we were, we're creating, we scored 77 goals in the league, created 55 what they call big chances. Yeah, so chances is, that have been created that haven't converted to a goal. Yeah, so this is on the Premier League's official site. Yeah. So you're talking, that's roughly 132 goals and chances. Yes. The season after that, he his last season, 17-18... 74 goals for, 81 big chances. That's colossal, 155 chances mm. and goals created. And if we go back to last season, 1920, that is the season 1920, not the year 1920, 56 goals, 48 big chances. So you're just creeping over 100. So you're third, you're a third down from <coughs> third last down. season. But with arguably better players up front. Yeah, so I'm going to say creating chances, obviously not. The one thing I, I think we've improved... We are harder to beat now. The Wenger way of playing, teams were finding it easier to get results against us. You know, we joke about the Stoke scenario. They were in a horrible bogey team to us. Even in Wenger's earlier years, there was this little niggle with Bolton and Sam Allardyce as well. So that style of team found their way to getting results against us. You know, when we, we hadn't beaten Man City for a very long time as well. We still haven't beaten them for a very long time, other than the, the FA Cup. So have we improved as a side? I think last season was probably the worst season I've ever seen Arsenal play. Even worse than the 94-95 season when uh, George Graham got the sack and we had Stuart Houston as a manager in the Cup Winners' Cup final. But yeah, I, I think we have improved under Arteta. But Arteta has only... I think our league results are for last season actually look a lot better because of COVID. I mean, I think you're right. I think under Arteta, we don't look like a Liverpool team will put four, five, six on us or, or completely play us off the park. We don't look like conceding eight against Man United, you know, travelling up to Old Trafford or getting butchered by a side. But we don't also, at the moment, look like scoring three goals against anyone. No, agreed. I agree totally. I don't think we're creating a chance. I don't think we look strong. Let, let's see what happens, you know. We've come out of the two big games against City and Liverpool. And if it was if you were using boxing parlance, we've lost on points rather than a knockout. Yeah. So yeah. I think we've done well. And we beat all the other teams. Maybe we beat West Ham and Sheffield United on points ourselves. We certainly knocked out Fulham. So I think on the whole, this season's been a great start to the campaign. Yeah. It's going to be Arteta's first full season. Yeah. Wenger's first full season in charge. He managed to scrape us into the Euro. Well, then was the UEFA Cup. So give Arteta a first full season in charge. And I think you'll see there. Wenger's book. I've not read it. It's my birthday soon. Hint, hint. No, I'm, get, I'm getting the book for my birthday. So I haven't read it. So I will read it. I'm really looking forward Are to it. Are you a reader or, an, or a listener? You know, it's going to be difficult. I think because of COVID, I don't travel as much with work. If I was traveling more with work, I'd definitely be a listener. But because I'm more home-based now, it's, it's much easier, more sociable for me to pick up a book and read it because then I can at least mumble to the missus halfway through it. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to listen just because he's narrating. So um, I'm going to live it through Arsene's noise. But um, what next for Arsene Wenger? I mean, I've heard some, I've heard some indifferent things come from him. He, how he wants to evolve the game. He wants to remove throw-ins. He wants kick-ins. Kick-ins. Well, because what he says at the moment is the way in which teams have learned to defend a throw-in. A throw-in is supposed to be a technical advantage when the ball goes out of play and. You can manipulate the ball to go out of play, but the team in possession are disadvantaged because they're now 9 to 11 technically because they've got one person off the pitch throwing it in and their goalkeeper is stationed in their goal. 
So it's nine to ten, basically. You can't be offside from a frame. No, you can't. But, you know, now they've learned to press so hard and they defend. Unless you get a throw-in off very, very quickly and someone's in possession in the pocket, you're a disadvantage. So Wenger has said that he believes that you should be able to kick the ball because you can get the ball to travel further and you'll be able to gain a, a scoring advantage again. And I also understand that he's doing a lot of work with the development of of academy-based solutions for kids all around um, all around the world where they can be part of online academies and they're trying to assist with getting players of ability who aren't able to get to other countries or, or are more in need who have ability to, to be seen. He's always been... He is a doyen of football. He yeah. is a colossus. You know, he's working for FIFA, obviously, at the moment, like you've just said. I could see him being head of FIFA. I can see him... Managing retake. again? Managing again. You know, there's an interesting thing. Someone said that, you know, there's been a lot of musings about Southgate's. And Wenger talks about himself in his book, read, just picking up on excerpts about how, he's, how many jobs he's turned down. Yeah. He's turned down the England job. He's turned down Real Madrid twice. He's also, I'm telling you now, he's turned down the England job several times. He turned it down when they sacked Hoddle. He turned it down when they sacked Keegan. He's turned the England job down pretty much five or six times. <laughs> they have tried and begged and begged Arsene Wenger to manage the England team so many times. He's always turned it down. Hmm. That's a management. I can see him doing that. I mean... So low maintenance I, 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 management. International management, England or France. I can't see him managing another Premier League side. I think I think he is besotted with Arsenal too much. I, I think he loved the club. Like you know, it was like an un, unconditional love. Well, they said talk about conditions. The condition of Arsenal getting a loan for a stadium was him signing his contract. Yes, that's massive. Uh, we'll give you the loan, but you've got to sign Arsenal finger up. Okay, then. I mean, yeah. So he and it just showed what. Uh, character and how much substance he had around the football club I mean I'm so grateful to to him for 22 years of service I can I had many a fine Saturday or Sunday or Wednesday or Tuesday off the back of Wenger running the football club and whatever he chooses to do I just fucking I, I wish you well mercy Arson. did you see him on Graham Norton I saw I uh, yes I did yeah I thought it was a waste of an interview for him. No, Graham was... Norton has no knowledge. It was only the fact that Flintoff was sitting next to him it gave the gave his interview any credence. It's really not a type of show for him yeah. to go Graham on. Graham Norton was all about talking to Dawn French whether or not she's going to go for free Christmas dinners or not and whether she'll dress up as the vicar. Yeah, no... She's not allowed to go for free Christmas dinners this year because you can't mix households. Come on, James, get oh, with it. Yeah, sorry, I'm so un-Covid um, <laughs> of compliance, but... Yeah, some of the things he was asking him were just off the cuff and, and they weren't relevant. But uh, but I, I tip my I doff my cap to Wenger for going on Graham Norton and actually having a chat with him because it seems quite un-Wenger-like. But I imagine over a glass of sherry, he's, he's quite a good crowd. He was chucking on the Vin Rouge, I can tell you that. I suspect that wasn't a cheap South American cab sav. That would have been a high-class French Vin. Yeah, something full-bodied, yeah. Certain Appalachian control, eh? <laughs> Well, look, best of luck to Arsenal, whatever he does. Uh, the show will follow him through everything. And uh, any of your best Arsenal memories, just make sure you get at us at Jim Bobcast, info at jimbobcast.com. Any Mercy Arsons or hashtag 
arson answers, hashtag arson memories, whatever you want to do. Just hashtag wonder vengers, wenger wonders, hashtag mesent memories. Remember that from last yeah, week? Yeah, you enjoy that one, don't you? I so love my mesent memories. Just hashtag anything, basically, and just include us. And you can also hashtag uh, your favourite chocolate orange, which Bob will be getting onto very soon. But the last <sighs> point on our footballing card, Robert, is Leicester. This coming Sunday. Yes, indeed. This is a huge game. It is. It's it's the proverbial six-pointer. It's a proper game. It's one where we need to put a, a plaque on the wall for this game. This is where we show intent about moving forward. You can't have the same excuses. Oh, we've only lost one nil against Man City. We got beat 3-0 by them last season. No, it's a massive game. We need to go and win this game this week. It's, it's absolutely essential that we go on and win this game. 7.15, this coming Sunday evening. Pay-per-view? I don't know. That would be a game that you would expect. It's a pay-per-view game. Is it, it really? It is officially a pay-per-view game. Okay. Are you paying for it? Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm not sure yet myself. Really? Well, it's my dad's birthday. Okay. For one. So there's that. It's, it's looking more and more likely. I would say I was... 80-20 on the fact that I will be paying for the game. You'll definitely watch it. I mean, you're obligated to now. Yeah, true. I'll watch it. So, it's a massive game. The team, I imagine... What would you change about the team from the City game? I'm going to change two things. I'm bringing in Party to start for Xhaka, and I'm bringing in Laka for Willian. So, my lineup is a 4-3-3. I'm going Leno, Bellerin, Gabriel, Louise... Tierney, Party, Ceballos, Saka, Pepe, Laka, Aubameyang. Okay. I, I, I want to play that team. I, I want to play those three up front. I think that's going to be exciting. I've adored the way that Saka and Tierney played last week, so I want to see that again. I also want to see if the strength and party effect in the centre of midfield can actually allow... Sabios to do more. Mm, well, okay, that's fair enough. So, Which is why I've gone for him against Sha- instead of Xhaka. Yeah, and I'm the opposite. I'm I'm picking Xhaka over Sabios. So mine's a three four three five three two. So Leno in goal, Maitland Niles at right back. I'm dropping Bellerin. That's a big shout. Thoughts behind this. Bellerin has been caught on the shoulder a few times now this season. He's not looking what's coming in. Mane got in behind him. I think he could have done better with the goal against City. I think he has been caught out a couple of times now. Positionally, he is just kind of occupying space with no real substance to it. Yeah, and I I think he needs to do better. So Maitland-Niles, Louise, Gabriel, Tierney in the three, Saka left wing back. The two, Xhaka and Partey. Front three, Orba, Laka, Pepe. I want to start playing Abamyang in the nine, but I want to see Lacazette in the side. Uh, he's got a good record against Leicester. Scored for his very first touch for Arsenal in the league against Leicester. Um, <laughs> in a game we won 5-3, I think. Um, great game. 4-3, sorry, 4-3. Yeah, and, and, and we just need to work to get Abamyang on the ball more. But Party coming in is, is, is an absolute stonewaller. Uh, we must take advantage of two things with Leicester. One, their poor start. And two, they've got two quite significant injuries. Soyuncu is out for quite a long time now. Three months. And uh, I believe Vardy is a major doubt. Vardy's Rogers has suggested in a press conference that he's definitely missing the Europa League on Thursday. However, he's hopeful. 
Hopeful is loosely turned for. We don't want to say he's out just yet. You know, magic spray injection. So he's out. Yeah, their start to the season's been somewhat strange. So they've opened up and they've lost against Villa. Then again, everyone loses against Villa. Yes. They've then got spanked by West Ham, who themselves got spanked the week before. They've then gone and beat Man City 5-2, beat Burnley 4-2 before then, I think they... uh, So I've done the league in backwards, actually. So they've just lost to Aston Villa, 18th of October. They lost then to West Ham 3-0. They then beat Man City, but they opened up with a 3-0 win at West Brom and a 4-2 win at Burnley before having some really indifferent latter form. So they've not won in two games, but prior to that, they have beaten by scoring lots of goals. Beat Man City, they beat Burnley, they beat West Brom. They should beat Burnley and West Brom, to be fair. The win against Man City at the Etihad is a massive result for them, but then they follow that with a loss of 3-0 at home against West Ham. So, you know, they are, yeah, interesting, you know. Just to stop press, Wolves beating uh, Leeds tonight, 1-0, goal from Jimenez. Yeah, in the Portugal kit, which uh, I know <sighs> you're a big fan of. The, the girls outside, you know, with their eyeball are at absolutely pumping their fists. I think one of them's dropped the ball at the moment. But no, it's a great time to... I think it's a really good well, both, time to we, play. We've both had five games. We've both taken nine points from five games. Two losses, three wins. You know, and, and it's a real... We need to put a line in the sand now against Leicester and move forward. Move to 12 points. You know, we then go away to United. And then we play Leeds the week after. Leeds, I'm adamant, will be a bogey side against us. Like they, they are exactly the sort of side that, that do bits against Arsenal. And we need some points now. I think we've got to beat Leicester. They're above us in the league, actually, on goal difference. You know, they got plus four, we got plus two, but that's about scoring goals. It's not about anything else. They, yeah. I mean, they've actually conceded eight goals to our six. Yeah. And three of those were against Liverpool. So, But can... they put five on City and we couldn't score against them. That's massive. So this is a big game. Uh, As you say, they've got players that are doubtful and out that's going to be big. We've got to take advantage of their recent games. What do we need to do to start getting points against teams that are other top four sides? Leicester had to be put in that. You have to believe that their vision this year is to compete for top four football. So what I think we need to do is I think we need to do two things. Thing number one is put a bit of stick about. I think we need to be harder. Mm-hmm. We need to be, if we're going to be difficult to beat, we need to be shit houses, shit housery. Yes. For one. Like we need word. to put a bit of stick about. We need to be a bit more physical. Which City did on us on, uh, on yes. the weekend. Don't be pushed over. That's one thing we need to do. But off the back of that, we need to show better attacking. And I think we can do that because if we're kicking a team a bit more and we're being a bit more aggressive, that will give us space. And then use that space to create chances. I am really keen to see what effect Thomas Party has to this team as a starter, playing more minutes in the game. I think he's going to provide a plug in the middle of that midfield that the rest of the players can flourish around. I think our chance creation will be greater because of that. Okay. I also think that left-hand side is going to bring more fruit. Yeah, it is, but they need to find a balance. Because I think it's unfair on Pepe at the moment that people are still saying he's not throwing, he's a £70 million player, or Bellerin's not overlapping. He's not. This is my issue as to why I'm dropping him and playing Maitland-Niles. Maitland-Niles has got a phenomenal engine, he's a great athlete, he's quick, and he's very cool on the ball. Pepe is not getting the same kind of work that 
You know, you've got to remember Arsenal have got four left-footed players now. Gabriel, Saka, Xhaka and Tierney. So they've got that. They've got the guys working the byline down there. So, you know, and, and Pepe just looks like he is in no man's on his own, always trying to... Well, we noticed that at the weekend, you know. I, I've just said about that link-up play yeah. between Tierney and Saka. Then you've got Xhaka coming across to help out, providing yeah. more strength and support. Aubameyang coming across as yeah. well. But when every time Pepe got the ball, it was almost like him versus three or four players. Which is exactly what his goal against Sheffield United was. It was just the one that came off and it was a wonder goal. But you're going to score one in 15 chances that you get like that. So when the other 14 times and people are saying you're not worth your money, well, it's the one time where he wins a game. But you could reduce that number down and get him in on goal a lot more if, you know, the team shuffle like the big guys do. But we shall see. Predictions, Robert. Leicester. I think Vardy will start and I think he will score because he always does against us. I think it'll be one all. I think that we will nick a 1-0. Nice. Yeah. I, I, just, I hope I'm right. Wrong, sorry. I hope you're right. Yeah, and I think that we might score from a set piece. Oh, interesting. Willie Ann's going to do something, because he, if he comes on. Well, you know, Pepe's a fine set piece taker. I fancy a David Luiz header or something like that. I just, a scrappy kind of 1-0, you know, because I still, I don't think this chance creation thing's going to come overnight. Um, chance will be a fine thing. <laughs> Very much so. But, yeah, I, I feel like we will just dribble through that game and just, like, get over the line. It will be 1-0 or 2-1, or but I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm going to say 1-0, Louise. Nice. So, Robert, this week we sent out a load of tweets and emails and things like that, and um, we just asked for a lot of questions. And one came in early on, which... I know food is something very close to your heart. Yeah, you know, I'm, I've been around the block in that, trained as a chef, things like that. So, yeah. And someone wants to understand why there is so much orange chocolate-related products on the market. Now, you feel quite strongly about this, I believe. The flooding of the market with the chocolate orange flavour is becoming a joke now. <laughs> Only today I have... There's chocolate orange Cadbury's fingers. No, no requirement. Well, it sounds good, that. There is chocolate orange twirls. Apparently, they were massive. They were good. Yeah, why? Just have a twirl. I've, I've had a chocolate orange twirl. And was it very good? Yeah, it was. There's chocolate orange Toblerones. Now, I know you've had a chocolate orange Toblerone because I brought one in today. It is muck. It is what? It's just no point. You know, you've got chocolate orange Lindors. You've got chocolate orange Kit Kat Chunkies. You know, they've even taken one of the finest biscuits known to man in the Choco Lebanitz. And they've given us a chocolate orange version of that. You know, Terry's chocolate orange. Just leave it at that. Terry's chocolate orange. That's it. That's your chocolate orange. Mint chocolate. You can have your mint chocks. Terry's chocolate orange, though, like bang average. What? The chocolate orange? The actual orange itself? Because it's an orange shape. It's a great Christmas gift. In a stocking, not obviously a present. If you, have, yeah. if you unwrap that... If you hate your wife, like, hello, dear, we've had a fantastic year, I've bought you a chocolate orange. And I've but, already had six segments because they taste pretty no, good. So, so, but this Toblerone, this stick, this chocolate stick... <laughs> Like a baguette. Like a baguette. It's like the, the chocolate version of a baguette. It's despicable. It's unf- It's not good at all. Why ponce about changing things to give us this redunculous chocolate orange, this chocolate orange, that chocolate orange buttons? Now, that is a sweet. That, it's not a sweet. That's solid chocolate. It's a sweet. 
That's that is that is not a sweet. It's definitely a sweet. No, it's solid chocolate. A, a sweet is a dolly mix or a Haribo or something gel based. It is not or foam based. <coughs> well, okay, these chocolate nuggets. It's not. It's a chocolate button. Chocolate button, if you will. You can't button up your coat with it, can you? But these chocolate orange. It's just infecting the market. Chocolate orange this, chocolate orange this. There'll be a, ch- there'll be a chocolate orange val- uh, advent calendar coming up. Oh, chocolate orange lint Santas. Just leave the oranges on the bloody tree to Del Monte <laughs> and leave the chocolate to Cadbury's on its own. Orange in one aisle. If you've done in the supermarket, you have the oranges on the fruit aisle, not on the chocolate aisle. So I have seen the Cadbury's. Cadbury's are doing like a, a kind of like a luxury range. And they have done a a bar, like a dairy milk bar, with an orange zest. And I'm quite sure it's got, like, orange peel throughout it. It's good. It's not. What's just do with dairy milk? Dairy milk, glass and a half of milk. Beautiful. But a brilliant chocolate bar. Don't piss about with it by adding orange. Ah, that ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, what about the phenomenal Terry's Chocolate Orange Bar? See, now, to introduce a chocolate bar like that into the market, makes the chocolate orange a more easy, accessible, uh, sweet chocolate bar. It's not a sweet. Well, it is a sweet, but it's a chocolate bar as well. It's, well but no, you see... In what see, context is it a sweet? Well, it's confectionery. <laughs> confectionery. <laughs> and it's confectionery, isn't it? No, I could talk about this for weeks. But no, the chocolate orange, it's just everywhere I go now, they're changing things with chocolate orange. Chocolate orange this, chocolate orange Baileys, chocolate orange liqueur. Don't get me started on Baileys fucking about with their recipes. Just keep it as Baileys. That's what works. Baileys Irish cream, not Baileys Irish Madagascan vanilla and Cuban armpit flavour cream. (laughs) Just keep it as Baileys cream. Just keep it as dairy milk. Just keep it as a bloody Kit Kat or Kit Kat Chunky. Now, Kit Kat Chunky is, again, another brilliant choice of chocolate-coated wafer. They are fantastic. The Toblerone, in its own guise, is a brilliant stick of chocolate. Dairy Milk is a good chocolate bar. Buttons are good sweets. Another chocolate-coated biscuit, uh, which I'm a massive fan of, is the Cadbury's Finger. Cadbury's Fingers are brilliant. Don't make them orange because it becomes sickly. You know, that's what the problem is. The chocolate orange, like the mint chocolate, if you don't have it at its optimum temperature, it becomes a sickly chocolate bar, which you can just sneak in a little chocolate biscuit, you know, here and there, or sneak in a little thing. There we've got, you know, you've actually got one in front of you. You've got a lint chocolate orange there, haven't you? A lint chocolate orange ball. It is an inch diameter. It's a, it's a, it's a fine treat. But, I mean, Lindors and all that, they're fantastic, but... Again, stick with the red one. Don't ponce about with mint ones and white ones and things like that. It gets my gears grinding. It really... You've often been seen frequenting the salted caramel lint ball, so... I mean, the salted caramel is even worse. It's salted caramel coming from left, right and centre. Yeah. Everything's salted caramel. What's wrong with caramel? What's... You don't get... Don't put bloody salt in it. It's not a portion of chips, you know? Okay, let's go and get a portion of chips and put caramel on it. No, no, you don't do that, do you? You get caramel chicken now. Caramel chicken? What's caramel... What? What is this? (laughs) You cannot have caramel-flavoured chicken. It's a uh, Chinese dish. If you're, um, you're working from home more often these days, I'm still... You know, up and down the country doing uh, doing various things. If you, you know, go into a chow noodles or uh, or one of those places and you opt for the noodle or the rice with two choices of chicken for seven ninety five, what they give you caramel or chocolate flavour? 
No, you, caramel chicken is like a sticky chicken with a caramel tinge to it. It's one of the things they do. It's pretty good. Okay. Let's get this straight. There is a place for sweets and there is a place for savouries, you know, and this world is becoming ludicrous with what it's doing. Chocolate orange, leave it to Terry's. It makes my blood boil. I'm, I'm a traditionalist. I don't want these newfangled angle things. I like Turkish delight in a little hexagonal box with icing sugar on it. I don't want it piss about with sesame seeds and stuff on it. Just keep it normal. And this Toblerone chocolate orange, which is one of the reasons we started on this, four quid, it's an absolute piss take. You know, the people at Toblerone take it and hide it. Yeah, that wasn't good. But um, look, we will get into more food-based ranting. Robert is very passionate about it. And we will close this one off in weeks to come about the bar or the sweet. He and I have... uh, Spoke about it for 15 years now, and he often talks a lot of shit. So, well, let's, let's give them a little flavour. See, see if they can help us with this debate. We'll finish this debate next week. So, bar versus sweet. I am a traditionist. A chocolate bar for me has to be a chocolate-based confectionery item, bar-shaped, with at least 85% of the total matter being that of chocolate. So I would say the Kit Kat Chunky, that's definitely a chocolate-coated wafer. I would say a Boost, or if you go back many years, the Boost with Guarana is a sweet and not a chocolate bar. James. Yeah, they're both bars. The Kit Kat Chunky is a solid bar of chocolate, which has a different layering of, uh, of an insert, like a Cadbury's Caramel Bar. It's chocolate-coated caramel. You're starting to say things like toffee crisps and... They're sweets. No, they're not. They're absolutely not. We will talk about this in more detail. Tweet in, bar or sweet. Just send us in chocolate bars. Go to your local garage, take a photo as you just, you know, go to pay for your fuel or if you're going to get a car wash or, you know, buying a, a gallon of milk or whatever and take a photo of that bar area, you know, just underneath the chewing gums but just above the um, Murray's Mints and just say bar or sweet. Bar or sweet. Remember Ritter Sports. If you could get pictures, garage confectionery shelves. Tweet us in your pictures of garage confectionery shelves. I want to see your Ritters. Show me your Ritters. That's it. <laughs> and we will also be doing, anyone who predicts on Twitter before the uh, Leicester game, the right score and also one of the goal scorers, uh, there will be a prize next week. So I will give you my chocolate orange Toblerone. <laughs> there might be a slightly better prize than that. But remember, we're at Jim Bobcast. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Amazon, Google Store, and the Apple Store, amongst our YouTube channel as well. So come on, like, comment, subscribe. All of it's uh, really, really mostly appreciated. Click, like, subscribe. I'm Jim. I'm Bob. Up the Arsenal. Let's have it.